first reading is from Psalm 19 on page 471. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are bright, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good morning, everyone. I'll be reading from Romans 1 on page 966, starting at verse 18 through to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For, all, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than their creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at church. And as uh, has been said, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Conversations That Matter, where we're asking some important questions that people ask and that we think we need to ask and talk about. And uh, today we're talking about how can you know there is a God? In the last uh, census, 44% of Australians 
identify themselves as Christian. And slightly less people, 39%, stated that they have no religion. In a survey from a few years ago, uh, the figure was 14% of Australians said that they had spiritual beliefs but were not religious. And so this is the kind of Australian picture of Christianity and spiritual beliefs. The majority of us still believe in God or in spirituality of some kind. But at the same time, it's also true that in the last 50 years or so, that uh, religious belief has been declining in Australia, particularly Christian belief has been declining. Let me tell you also, though, about the global picture, which we don't hear as much about. A few years ago, the Washington Post uh, newspaper in America uh, had an article about the shift from Christianity being a Western religion to being a, a religion of the global South. The opening uh, lines of the article said this. Let me quote it to you. While Christianity may be on the decline in the United States, the world is becoming more religious, not less. A century ago, 80% of Christians lived in North America and Europe compared with just 40% today. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global south than the north for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. And the global religious wildcard is China. Even today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshipping in China on any given Sunday than in the United States. So around the world, more and more people are actually coming to believe in God. That is the global trend. Now, today's question is, How can we know there is a God? How can you know that there is a God? And some people, um, maybe you feel this this morning, think that this question itself is a suspicious kind of question. You know, it it implies that I am trying to change your beliefs. And that sounds like quite a uh, bigoted thing to do, maybe. Uh, Let me quote to you these words, though, from Rebecca McLaughlin in her book, confronting Christianity. She said this, attempting to persuade others to change their beliefs is a sign of respect. You are treating them as thinking agents. So today, I, if you aren't a believer here today, I welcome you to church. I'm so glad you are here. And I want to say, I, I do actually hope to persuade you today, but I'm, I'm doing that out of respect for you as a thinking agent Uh, respecting you enough to be able to think about whether what I'm saying is true. There's a few places people have historically looked when it comes to uh, thinking about whether there's a God. First place is to experience. Do I feel God? Do I sense that there is a God? Second place is to uh, reason. Do I can I kind of think logically about life and the universe and how everything works and can I get myself to God through my mind? The third way that people have thought about whether God exists is through tradition. What does my family say? What does my community say? What does my church say? There's a problem with all of those three ways of trying to know God. And the problem is that they're extremely personal. They're not universal truths. 
Because what you experience might be different to what I experience and what you reason might be different to what I reason. And if the Bible is true and it's true for all people and that there is one God across the whole universe, if that's true, it needs to be deeper than just whether I feel it or whether you feel it or whether I think it or whether my community say that or not. Recently I read about the English writer uh, Paul Kingsnorth and in, until recent years he had been uh, the editor of the Ecology magazine. He was uh, a rampant environmentalist. Uh, he was chaining himself to bulldozers and to trees trying to stop deforestation. And a few years ago uh, he came to realise that there must be a spiritual realm. He was feeling extremely unfulfilled by this life that he had. And he thought, there must be more to this. And so he became a Buddhist. And for five years he practised Buddhist meditation. And then he became unfulfilled with Buddhism. And so he joined a Wiccan coven and practised witchcraft. And it was in the year 2020, he was reading a Christian philosophy textbook and he realised that what he'd been looking for all along was a truth that he could surrender to. Not a truth that he was going to discover or make himself, but a truth to surrender his whole life to. And that for him was the first step to coming to Christianity. One Christian writer has called the God of the Bible the God who is there. Not a concept, not a cognition, not a convenience, but the God who is actually there. And that's who I want to talk to you about this morning, the God who is there. How can you know there is a God? One of the best places to go in answering this question is to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. So if you've got the reading open, uh, keep the Bible open there as we go through it together. There's two places this psalm tells us God is revealed, in the skies and in the scriptures. So I want to look at those two things together. First, God is revealed in the skies. What I love about the Bible is that it comes to us not as a telephone book just with raw facts, but it comes to us with the full array of genres and colour and uh, all sorts of things, letters, histories, parables, uh, biographies. And in Psalm 19, we are dealing with the genre of poetry. And it begins like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. How do you see the skies when you look up and look at them? Do you see them as beautiful, as colourful, as lovely? The skies are are certainly all those things, but what about as having a voice? That's what this psalm tells us, that the skies themselves have a voice and that they're saying something to you, that they are in fact a love letter, a divine billboard from God telling you something. The claim here is that what we now know in the 21st century is the laws of science and Uh, gravity and uh, space and ozone layers and gases and galaxies, that none of these things arise out of a random accident. 
that in fact they are put there by God to speak to us. And the psalm says the skies send us a message. A few years ago, some British atheists plastered on the side of buses, there probably is no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. But notice the the message that the skies send to us. It's not a message of inconvenience, of of being a killjoy. The message is one of wonder, of awe, of glory. Now you might say that sounds a bit suspicious that the skies are meant to be speaking in some way. So what does the psalm mean? Have a look at verse 3. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. I heard about a group of people who were at the end of a jetty in Southern California and a bunch of tourists and strangers all watching the sunset together. And as the sun went down over the water... Um, they, they saw uh, the sky go through all shades of red and pink and purple and orange until finally it went black. And when that happened, one of the men started clapping and they all joined in in applause. And anyone who's seen a sunset, you can kind of understand what they're doing. You kind of feel like doing that. Somehow we know the creation is speaking to us, it's saying something. It's preaching a wordless sermon to us. And it tells us we are no accident. We're not here by some mishap or some mistake. We're the handiwork of the creator. And it's not just for one or two people. Have a look with me at verse 4. It's not just for Australians or British or Americans, it's a universal message. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. It's the same when you think about the sun. Have a read it with me from verse 4. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The circumference of the sun is nearly four and a half million kilometres. And the temperature of the sun is 5,600 degrees Celsius. The psalmist tells us that God essentially tucks the sun into bed. He pitches a tent for it. In other words, God is so massive that he dwarfs even the sun. And see the description of the sun, it's like a groom after the wedding night. It's like an athlete, one of these runners today, finishing the race, just radiant, joyful, happy, beaming, and it does it day after day. G.K. Chesterton once pointed out that adults often wear themselves out playing with children. And you know the phrase that children say, that say, do it again, do it again. And the adult keeps going and it becomes monotonous. And eventually they become tired and they give up. But he says, it's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. 
It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. So my homework for you today is to go and look at the sky. Look at it today after church. Look up and see if it doesn't point you to the reality of God. Look up tonight and see if the sky doesn't show you and speak to you that message about the glory of God. That's the first way God reveals himself here in the skies. The second way God reveals himself is in the scriptures. If we only had the skies, we might think that God was aesthetically pleasing, that he was that he had an eye for beauty, that he was big, that he was amazing. But we still don't know very much. We don't have any clarity. We need some more certainty, and that's what we find in the Scriptures. Now, as I say that, I know that someone's going to think, well, which Scriptures? Islamic Scriptures or Buddhist Scriptures or Scientology Scriptures or uh, something else, Hindu Scriptures? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the subject of the whole thing, Old and New Testament. It all is pointing in one direction, to one person. And so Jesus is the entry point to coming to see that the Bible is trustworthy. If Jesus did not come and live a life and die and rise again, you can throw this out as a meaningless um, piece of ancient history. But if he did come and if he did rise, then this has to stand up as the truth about God. And as we read the scriptures, we meet God, we meet his, and, and we see his character and his actions and the way that he uh, speaks to people and the laws that he gives and his expectations. The Australian author Helen Garner has spent a lot of her career writing about violent crime in, in Australia. And so for, to do that, she spent a lot of time in the courtroom day after day, listening to these cases unfold. And she says she loves the courts. And when a journalist asked her, why do you love them? This is what she said. It's extremely ritualised. It's very formal and there are very strict rules about how you can behave. And there's a power figure, a paternal, a maternal figure, which is the judge. Everybody's got their outlined and agreed upon role to play. Hearing someone get up and make this sort of statement, which is all persons having business before this honourable court, make yourselves known and you shall be heard. I always feel like bursting into tears at that moment or shouting out, Amen. It seems to me an almost religious moment. And the reality is that at the best, our courts are an imperfect reflection of how God relates to us because God is the judge he is the divine law giver and the scriptures show us the words and the decrees of God have a look at verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the Lord are radiant, 
giving light to the eyes. Now, someone might say to me, well, of course, Josh, of course you believe that because you're a Christian. Of course you believe the Bible is God's word. But it's true that no one is born believing these things. Uh, As the saying goes, God has children, but he doesn't have grandchildren. And you need to come to these things. And for the first part of my life, I read this and and, and, uh, committed myself to it, not necessarily because I believed it, but because it was expected of me. But when I was at university reading this on campus with some other Christians, I came to realise this is the word of God. It can't be anything else. And I can tell you honestly that today I can't live without it. The pattern here is that God speaks and he blesses those who listen. God speaks on the pages of the Bible. He tells us his mind. He he gives us his plans. He, He tells us about his character. And our lives are transformed as we take it on board, as we take it to heart. We're refreshed. We become wise. We receive joy. Our eyes light up. We, we become radiant. Two of the things that we desire so much in life are food and money. Isn't that true in Sydney? Like, you read the weekend newspaper, that is about 80% of the newspaper. Food and money. Yet listen to the claim of this psalm, verse 9. The decrees of God are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb. If this psalmist had the choice between owning an estate and owning a Bible, he'd choose the Bible. And if you asked him, what are the greatest experiences of your life? He wouldn't say eating at a fancy restaurant. He would say feasting in the house of God, in the temple of God, with the people of God, with the commands of God. Now, is that just naive? Is that religious brainwashing well it might be if if these words are made up but if they're true if if it really is the voice of the the creator of the universe piercing into this world and into our hearts then what could be better what could be better than having the words of god i have a friend who in 2020 just before the pandemic hit i gave him a bible and he'd left his kind of religious background uh, in the past. But that year he read the Bible and you could say he kind of binge read the Bible. He just read it and read it and read it. And do you know what happened for him? He met God. That year he met God. Have you tried that? If you haven't, this is my next piece of homework for you. Why not read some? Why not taste it and see that, as the Bible said, the Lord is good? So how can you know if God exists? The skies and the scriptures. But actually, there's a third thing here as well. And that is, finally, that we can know God exists because of his servant. Because of his servant. In ancient Israel, that servant was the king And in this psalm, King David, he wrote this psalm. And in verse 11, David turns and he starts speaking about himself. 
By God's decrees, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. David longed to live a life well before the Lord. He longed to have God say to him, you are blameless, David. And yet when we look at his life, as we did recently as a church, he's not really a model citizen. He's not actually the type of person you'd probably have to the afternoon barbecue. David at points was treacherous and murderous. He lied, he he stole property, he stole another man's wife. And if David was the main person God revealed himself through, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But the Bible points us forward beyond David to one of his descendants who was the ultimate servant And Jesus was known as the servant king. And unlike his forefather David, he truly did live perfectly, never stumbling when he came to the laws of God. And the scriptures have this focal point that every page, every sentence points us forward to the life and ministry of Jesus and his words and his deeds and his death and his resurrection Listen to the opening lines of the New Testament book to the Hebrews. It says this. Naomi's already read it for us. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the skies speak, the scriptures speak, and the servant of God speaks to us today to tell us that God exists, that he's real. But more than that, that he actually wants a relationship with you. And that the reason God did all of this was because of his great love for us. Heard recently that during the Simpsons TV show, at one point the author, Matt Groening, wrote himself into an episode so that the characters could meet him. And in the coming of Jesus, that is what God has done. He's written himself into the story so that we might meet him, so that we might know what he wants from us, so that we might see his heart and see his grace and his offer of forgiveness and reconciliation with him. And he tells us there is this great way to come back to him. And that way is through Jesus. If you can imagine a great chasm with God on one side and us on the other, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the bridge across that chasm and that we may come back to God and have relationship with him. The reality is that you have to come to this yourself in life. It's not something that your community can give to you. It's not something that you can have automatically from your upbringing. And the confronting part of this, the most confronting part, comes from our second reading today in Romans chapter 1. And that is that we don't believe in God, not because we can't see him, but because we won't see him. 
because our hearts have suppressed him, suppressed the truth about him, and that we are committed to living lives of selfishness, lives of wickedness, lives that push God away, lives that are bent on ourselves and and what we want. It tells us we even engage in sexual behaviour, which is contrary to the will that God has for our lives. And so we push God away and it leads us to this eternity of alienation from him with him on one side of the chasm and us on the other. And if we won't be reconciled to him, that is where we remain forever. But the incredible thing is that God is willing to have us back and that he has made the way he's done everything necessary, everything possible. I've got two kids and... Often we have a great relationship. Uh, often they love me. But sometimes they do turn their backs on me. I know it's hard to believe for a pastor's household, uh, but they do turn their backs on me. And, and I would do anything to have them come back and say, I'm sorry, and, and to reconcile, to, to restore the relationship. And God is the same with us. When we come back to him as the creator of the skies, as the writer of the scriptures, as the sender of his servant, that he wants to have us back. Notice the final verse of this psalm. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as you listen today, if your heart wants to say, that's my prayer. I want those words to be my words. I want to own that today. It could only be because God is working in your life. It could only be because the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart today. It could only be because Jesus is offering himself to you today to come and be reconciled to his Father. The only question is, how will you respond to God's offer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us, making yourself known. We thank you that uh, you've revealed yourself in the skies that stretch above us, in the scriptures that we have in our hands, and in your servant whom you sent, our Lord Jesus. Pray today for anyone thinking these things through, Father, that you may uh, make it clear for them. And Father, we pray that we may rejoice all the more in you, the God who has made yourself known. And we ask it in Jesus' name.